at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, back in the top 25, uh, and uh, Georgetown still sucks week. Georgetown does indeed still suck, but barely, uh, based on yet another um, terrifying, death-defying game uh, between Syracuse and the Hoyas. I... Uh, if for nothing else, I just don't want to play them anymore because no matter how much better we are than them, we just seem to make this as interesting as possible, and it's just not fun. Yeah, pretty much every game, I feel like, since we left the Big East, um, and even the last couple of years in the Big East, we're uh, a real bear. But we've, uh, you know, we got a win, which is not always been the case. I think we're we're now three and four since we uh, switched conferences, which is not ideal against the the Hoyas. So actually, no, it's not two three, and, three yeah. and four in our last seven, and yeah. uh, two and what, two, two since we switched. We lost the first two. And then won the second two. We lost two straight to St. John's. We lost the last one or two to Nova. And then I think we split with UConn two and two as well. Yeah. Uh, and all those games have just been really difficult. <laughs> um, For some reason. Yeah. It was, we were two and four in our last however many, like, before this weekend. Um, including, but last year we got the win, which was also, I mean, it's a really, a, a pretty bad Georgetown team. But uh, really struggled to it the year before. It was a John Thompson got fired year, and we lost. The year before that, we lost by seven. So, I mean, we haven't been blown out since the awful game at Georgetown uh, the year we went to the Final Four, uh, which we obviously had our revenge in the C.J. Ferrick Duncan game in the biggest tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has not been like a slam, like, no pun intended, this hasn't been a slam dunk uh, win for us uh, recently. We haven't won two straight in the series. Well, now we have, but we hadn't won two straight in the series since 11 and 12. We haven't won three straight in the series since nine ten, so no no real dominance here. And that's kind of been the even like through struggles for Georgetown, we, we haven't had like a long winning streak since like the late nineties, early two thousands. So yeah, I, I think we have kind of differing views on on uh, the future of this rivalry, but um, I am glad that if this was the last time we played them for a while, that we that we are going out on a relatively high note. Yeah, I mean for me, I I've said this before, I said it last year, and I'll say it again this year, like. I don't necessarily think that this rivalry is much of a priority um, at, at this time. I understand, like, the vitriol is still there, and I still very much hate them, and they still even more so hate us because we actually we make them relevant. And I think that's the, that's the key for, for Syracuse fans. Like, if you're, if you're really fighting for this rivalry to continue, I don't blame you for doing that. Um, the longer it continues, and that goes for UConn too, really, the longer both of those rivalries continue, the more relevant we make them. Um, as both programs currently stand, they don't necessarily matter that much without us being involved. This is the biggest game on the schedule for both of them in many ways. Um, it's not at all for us. I, I just think that, you know, especially considering how minimally we might uh, recruit the Connecticut area, how minimally lately we've recruited the D.C. area, um, I'd be fine playing either of them, like at MSG, once a year if we just switch them back and forth. That'd be fine. I think that would actually be a more appropriate kind of way forward for this rivalry. 
and end the Huskies rivalry personally. Um, again, especially given the slog that all these games have been um, and, and, and the poor starts, it seems like uh, befall us every single time we play these teams. Yeah. See, with, for me, like, I think that obviously, like, in football, it's easy to say, like, who cares about whatever series because we don't have, like, a really true rival in the modern sense. Like, our rivals historically were, like, Penn State, West Virginia, and Colgate. And, you know, we'll play all of them. We were obviously playing West Virginia in the bowl game. But we'll play all of them, like, once in a while. But they were never, like, such, like, dyed-in-the-wool rivalries that it really mattered as much that right. we lost those games for various reasons throughout the years. Um, and obviously, like, Penn State hasn't been, like, an every-year thing in so long. West Virginia is a little more recent. But even then, like, we weren't super worked up about it. Um, versus, like, the, the, the Georgetown and UConn rivalries, I think, like, are among the best rivalries in college basketball. And, and even when one of the teams is down, usually the opponent, because we are never, like, that down. Um, there's a lot of vitriol. I mean, we saw it. I mean, I saw it firsthand when UConn beat us this year. Like, the UConn fans wanted that game so, so much. And obviously, it definitely means probably more to them than just to us because we are in a big boy conference and and uh, we get games against Duke and UNC and Louisville and Notre Dame and whoever else every year, especially for, compared to UConn, who has know, to go to Greenville, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, that they have to go out to SMU and Houston, who are like fine programs, but they're not like you know programs that you're you know highlighting on your schedule every year. Um, Georgetown's a little less of an issue, but like Georgetown, they're heyday was so long ago and so much of it was was tied to the big east that was and not necessarily the big east that is even if the big east had like a lot more success in the aac um with villanova mostly uh but like i think rivalries mean enough in college basketball and college sports in general that i wish there was a way where we could more feasibly keep both series going i totally understand like the issues surrounding scheduling and making sure that we get to the ncaa's obviously we've we are a, a major benefactor of like learning how to make the system work for us in the last couple of years after being kind of you know, failing on that part in the you know, 07, 08 seasons. But it, it is very disappointing that we might lose those teams, even if they were getting more out of it than us. And even if uh, you know, we were putting ourselves at risk for uh, annoying losses uh, like we've had in recent years, I, I just like, you know, still wish that there was a, a feasible way to make it work in light of like the changing in the AAC scheduling, which is like the made the major issue here is that we're getting another conference team, which most likely means another, you know, pretty difficult team, or at least like mid-level power five team versus playing, you know, and, and rather than lose uh, a bye game or another home game uh, against one of the mid majors that uh, we've done really well with in terms of finding opponents that we can beat, but also help us. Uh, we're going to probably lose one of these rivalries, which is unfortunate. So, We'll see. I'm not like, you know, gonna start throwing things places and, and you know, yelling at the AD on Twitter. I totally get the issue. Um, but I just wish that there was a another way to go about it. But here we are. Yeah, I mean, I've discussed this a bunch of different times just in terms of like how the schedule fixes everything. Um, I, I think that, you know, the 20 game ACC schedule not only, you know, adds two games against an ACC team but also adds another road game to the equation. So now you have the fact that Syracuse is so far away from most of the conference um, that they're going to need to find ways to to keep a, an, an extra home game on there um, in non-conference play in order to, to use those gate receipts and fund some of that travel. Um, I understand that the ACC has large payouts. The ACC network will only help that. Um, still, like Syracuse is in a bit of a different position than, than a lot of the other teams in the conference and a lot of the other teams in power conferences, um, save a few of the other geographic outliers as a product of the latest round of conference realignment. I, I think, you know, Jim Beheim kind of went into this a little bit after the game. 
uh, talking about, you know, you have 20 games accounted for in the ACC. You have the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, that's 21. The games against uh, Colgate and Cornell are, have pretty much become annual fixtures. That gets you to 23. Um, and then, you you know, you have the, the tournament that, that can involve Georgetown and or UConn but gets you another two to three games, sometimes four even, even if some of those are on your home court. Um, so that brings you up to 26, 27 games. Uh, you don't really have a ton of wiggle room. Uh, and and that's him being realistic about it, and it's not a cop-out. It, it, it's complete reality um, th- that we live in here. Uh, I think there's... If Syracuse wants to up the level of difficulty, like I, I, I know we mock UConn and Georgetown, but like at their best... Uh, they are very historically capable programs, top 20-ish, top 25 at worst, but probably top 20 programs all time and, and, and programs that most years, um, once they're you know at a reasonable level again, are, are only helping our, our uh, resume. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily think you want to do that to your team is have you know 10 ACC road games, add in every other year uh, a road game against a Big Ten team, you know, add in every other year a road game against Georgetown or UConn or, or both. Like, that, that's a very challenging schedule. And again, one that completely ignores the financial, um, you know, burden on Syracuse being a little bit further away from the rest of the ACC. I, I, I really hope there's at least one UConn fan listening because I know that the insinuation you just gave that UConn's like a top 20 to 25 program when I know you actually meant Georgetown is uh, wonderful and I support it. <laughs> I mean, three titles since whatever, Buh. Tyler Olander, other things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll completely admit I hate both of those programs with a passion. I will admit that both of them would be included, would absolutely be included in the top twenty or so programs of all time. I think Syracuse should be included over at least Georgetown. I think they should be included over UConn because we haven't had the bad stretches. Uh, I think you can make a very interesting debate between Syracuse and UConn. I think you can totally justify putting UConn ahead of Syracuse because they have the extra titles. Um, I would say if you say that you'd rather be Syracuse or if you'd rather be UConn going forward, you are a crazy person. Correct. Yeah. I think you can totally justify saying that UConn has had a better uh, run here, especially, I mean, like obviously it's been shorter, but like they've won, what, three titles? So yeah, great. Or four titles. Yeah. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't. I just your don't facts. Care. Your facts don't matter here. But if you think that UConn has a better future in front of it than Syracuse basketball, you are a delusional person. Oh yeah, because um, this, the second he turns UConn back into a consistent winner, some Big Ten programs hiring Hurley. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes, Hurley is is very susceptible. Yeah. You have to real, and that's the problem. Like, obviously. I don't know if, if they fired Ollie too quickly or not. The whole thing is very strange, and the way they've handled the firing has been very, very uh, second-rate um, and just really kind of gross to do that to an alumnus um, who won you a title. Uh, that being said, Ollie probably wouldn't have left unless it was for an NBA job where he you know, he had his chance and stayed, um, and Hurley has no connections to the program, which is fine. Like That was a really good hire. I think he's a good coach. That being said, like the second like an indiana opens up or something and he's like on the short list like he'll go sorry UConn, like he will go and that wouldn't happen to syracuse even if we hire an outside person after Bayheim. like so uh yeah that's that's the situation with them 
Uh, best of luck to them going forward this year. Help our, our not our RPI, help our, our net rating or whatever. And that's very useful. Thank you. Hopefully UConn does great things this year and then misses the tournament somehow in, in hilarious fashion or gets caught for NCAA stuff or uh, makes a tournament and loses to someone embarrassing. I'm fine with all these. Oh yeah, no, I I want them to I want them to them and Georgetown to make the tournament and then proceed. Like even I don't even care if you get a top eight seed. I don't give a shit. And but 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 I want oh, you Georgetown, to lose. Georgetown could, and then they'll. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter who they play. Yeah, I want yeah I want you to lose in the most spectacular way possible. Uh, Casual Hoya promised that if they lose to a double digit seed again, that the the blog will be shuttered. Um, so, so I absolutely want this to happen as soon as possible. Is that like a one year thing or is that ever? No, the, that's the, 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 that seemed like ever. Um, based on based on their responses, I also think um, a it's definitely happening again at some point. Um, oh, I mean, we'll probably lose to a double digit seed at some point. I'm not going to say we should never have a website again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and especially given Georgetown's history here, um, it seems seems like a bold uh, bold stance to have. Yeah, I mean, Georgetown's like, I mean, their greatest NCAA tournament win in recent history is in like Eastern Washington. So I don't know how. How sure we can be? I mean, they they lose more often than not to double digit seeds at this point. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess Patrick Ewing has no history of it, but no, that's true. Um, one last thing about this before we get to the actual Georgetown game, um, a little bit on the scheduling front. Also bummed that this probably the ACC um, expansion move uh, in terms of games probably eliminates any potential rivalry with Buffalo that might be developing um, now that the Bulls are suddenly like a top fifty program and 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 maybe you know a lot more but i'm not i'm not discrediting the bulls by t- calling them top 50 i'm just saying that i'm not just looking at this year's team i'm looking at the large larger picture of programs um and and longer term viability looking both backward and forward and the, the um, bulls I'm, have become that i'm fine with that i mean like for mid-majors like that like it's very fleeting we've seen it with like sienna who was awesome for a stretch and then mccaffrey went to iowa and now they've been kind of a train wreck um bulls have made like, two great hires two great hires in a row though and they are actually recruiting like the last couple of years now top 100 ish classes oh no they've been very good i just don't think it's ever gonna be like a rivalry because like a punching down rivalries isn't fun um in my opinion at least like i don't love the idea of like having a rivalry quote unquote with like a mid-major that's why georgetown um, and uconn aren't fun yeah i mean uconn's a mid-major already and i want to keep that one going and that's my exception um <laughs> No, but like Buffalo, I'm, I'm like happy for them. The the fact they've had such a good year in football and basketball is impressive, and I'm totally cool playing them this year. I don't really care if we play them every year. That like that doesn't really matter to me. So, I mean, if they're if they're gonna be good for the, the schedule and it's a you know a fun local matchup, I have no problem playing it. However often, I just don't really care if they fall off the schedule or not. So, see, I um, I, I just like the ability to never leave New York State and also challenge ourselves on the schedule a little bit. Yeah, and you get people, everyone very mad that we're not leaving. That we're basically just playing Wisconsin or Kentucky schedule, um, and just not leaving the state, but playing a By better way, program. Did that guy who didn't vote for Duke in the top twenty-five this week? Did he vote for us? Uh, I didn't look. I just I saw I saw the, the nonsensical post and said I'm not even going to entertain this. I really hate how much we've had to defend Duke recently, but like it's so asinine. There's like no other good way to do it because it's the same exact argument that's been used against us for so long. And I don't really know why it just came to now that Duke, like... This has been a regular that, thing for them. Yeah, this is, I mean, and, and again, it's no different than us doing it, and it's not a big deal. Like, come on. Like, this is ridiculous. 
This is the problem with, with the problem with this this quote unquote rivalry with with the Blue Devils is that I have too much respect for them to like actually completely disregard them as a program. Oh, it's yeah, it's a different thing than UConn or Georgetown because it's uh, way more fun to be dismissal of those two. While Duke is just really really good all the time, and even this year, I don't think there are any other players are super hateable. Because like Hayden Grayson was like obviously kind of oh maybe oh, possibly overplayed, but like it all came from a very real place. Right. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the Duke one is definitely something of general respect, just because of the Bayheim Coach Tay relationship. The fact that like we've been kind of like the gritty underdog in that one, but we've also gotten them enough times where it's like it's fun to do it. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with where have with how the the Duke uh, series has gone so far because it's like usually pretty competitive, and even in our down years, like we give them a hell of a run when we play, um, even at Cameron. So. Yeah, and, and that whole thing is so asinine. Like, if you don't want to vote them number one, then don't. That's totally fine. They, they've lost. But, like, to not put them in the top 25 is so such a ridiculous attention grab. And, like, I guess he probably got what he wanted. But I also, like, it's one of those where, like, I don't really care if people are going to give him what he wants. Like, it is so stupid. Like, just shit on him however much you need to. Because it's, it's like, ridiculous. That guy should not have a vote. I would agree. Um, all right. Now I promise we're going to talk about <laughs> the actual Georgetown game. Um... For those who didn't watch for some reason, and this is the first you're ever hearing about what happened, um, uh, my apologies. Uh, Syracuse looked like absolute garbage for much of the first half and uh, parts of the second half. They were down 13 at halftime. It could have been more, really. Um, they weren't shooting well. They were jacking up threes for reasons unknown. At one point, they were 1 for 13 um, from behind the arc. They ended up 8 for 28, which was better, but still only 29%, well, less than 29% on the game. Most of those were in the second half, um, including four from Elijah Hughes, which were great. Um, Tyus Battle did almost nothing in the first half and then was a man on fire in the second half, including the final dagger with 2.8 to go uh, to take a 72-71 lead. That final shot was really concerning me um, from Georgetown because it did look pretty good. Especially because it came like 45 minutes after Keldon Johnson hit like the same shot from a little bit closer to center court. Um and it looked exactly the same from me off his hands and looking in the air yeah, for Kentucky that, and yeah, Seton Hall. It, it, that looked very good. It was very concerning. Um, I know Dylan Finer on the blog had a great article about uh, should SU have fouled in the final minute. I was very much on team no foul, um, and, and I'm glad that the numbers uh, didn't necessarily say it was unequivocally the best uh, solution, but, but I'm glad that, A, it worked out for us, and B, that the numbers said that it was pretty much it was slightly it was a slightly better option to not foul than to foul yeah I, i'm i'm like usually fine with fouling and and the one thing i'm like i trust Beheim there because Beheim has shown that he will he will foul like he's come around on that where a couple years ago i think he was the still kind of out. yeah but Beheim i think kind of calls it on based on the flow of the game and and what he feels is right in the moment so i think we totally would have fouled if he thought it was the right thing to do it just decided um, that he wanted to see it play out. And, and with how the second half had largely gone, I was I was fine with it. Yeah, I mean, the defense played really well. Like, yes, Georgetown did score 36 in the, in the second half. But, I mean, if you look at what Syracuse did on offense, 50 points in the second half, like, you'll you'll take lit allowing 36. Um, I, I think that, you know, you get you didn't get bailed out by the by the Doljai um, charge call, like, call against it by any means. But I think... Obviously, that helped a lot. It helped validate uh, Beheim's decision not to, you know, stop the clock sooner, um, potentially get Georgetown to the line. Like, 
on the game, Georgetown was 65% from the free throw line. So that's far from like perfect, but you know, why make the game about hitting a three when, when you as a team uh, weren't necessarily doing that all that well, just to me, I, I, I like the idea better of, of letting your, your shooters do what they're most comfortable with um, and most accurate doing. Obviously, Battle being one of the, I mean, Beheim referred to Battle as maybe the clutch shooter um, in recent SU history. I, I think Jerry McNamara might have some issue with it, but I, I think Battle definitely, definitely takes the, the crown from the last decade or so. Yeah, I mean, I think Jerry is the the number one with a bullet, but I mean, I don't go far enough back where to to remember like the '80s and '90s guys in terms of just clutch shooting. But since Jerry, I mean, what's the short list aside from Devo? Devo had obviously had some moments. Um, I'm trying to think of someone who has like so Johnny, many. Of Johnny Johnny Flynn had a few. Yeah, I don't think they were like always in such obvious clutch moments as battles. Battle Correct. like hit so many game winners, game tires. Like, I mean, Dylan, uh, who you brought up before, had, like, a really good thread on Twitter with, like, five or six from the last three years. And, like, we're obviously only a couple games into this season. And I think he, I mean, just game winners and game tying shots down the stretch, he has, like, half a dozen already. And those aren't, like, things that happen all the time, especially in college basketball. You're playing, you know, 30-plus games a year. It's not like the NBA where you have 82. And in big moments often, like the game at Clemson, um, obviously the the uh, two or three of them already this season, like... It's really impressive. Like he's really built that rep, and he's so he's so confident with it. And when he throws up one of those floaters, like it, I'm always on board with him taking that shot if he has any kind of room. And he's been very good about creating separation. Now, before before the the play started, I tweeted like, if Georgetown doesn't like triple team battle here, I don't know what they're doing. Like it's absurd that they would give him. They even, didn't cover like, him at all. <laughs> no, they gave they had like one guy on him, and they had like a soft double maybe. But he got a good 18 inches free and then threw up a, a largely open floater that he buried, and he's so good at that shot. And obviously, I think we were kind of thinking the same thing, um, Bayham and company, because apparently the play was drawn up for Elijah Hughes. Bayham says that. I don't totally believe it. I don't um, buy that for a second. That. Yeah. Um, I don't believe it at all, but I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he meant, like, if Tyus isn't given... Uh, the kind of soft opening he, he was given, like you, you look for Elijah open because he might be the guy who the defense is lagging off of, but like, come on. <laughs> Battle's the number one option there 100% of the time. And then, yeah, if you have a wide open Elijah Hughes, he's obviously probably our best three-point shooter. Like, you give him a look, but but man, like, you, you can't you can't do much better than what Tyus did in those last two shots. Like, he's just, he has such ice in his veins. He is completely unafraid to take that shot. Um, and it just seems like he hits it most of the time. And after a pretty slow start to the year, uh, he's really rounded into the the player we, we've looked for, uh, even from the efficiency. Like, this wasn't the most efficient game, but he was 20 sits on 18 shots. Like, that's obviously the Northeastern game. He was pretty bad, but we didn't really need him to be much more than that. He only scored tw- two points and, and only played 27 minutes. But uh, Cornell, 20 sits on 17 shots, 20 on only 10 shots since Ohio State, 24 on 10 shots since Colgate. Like, this is kind of what we were looking for which obviously he struggled early on, especially when Frank was out. And I still think the impact Frank has made has gone uh, a bit uh, under, maybe not underreported, but I think it's very easy to look at Frank's raw numbers and say he hasn't been playing well. But the team just looks like totally different since he's come back. And I think Tyus might be the main beneficiary of that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think, yeah, you, you're right. Battle, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week. Battle kind of is the rare person to come back and, and seemingly address some of the things that, that NBA scouts had some issue with. 
Um, I, I think that having him be able to take over a game and, you know, Beheim kind of lit a fire under his ass at halftime and, and he really did respond and he, he looked like a veteran leader here. I mean, if you have that clutch gene and it's not really quantifiable necessarily, but like if you have it, you know, you, you'll get work in the NBA. I mean, you might not be, you know, a guy who makes every all-star team, but you could be a really good. I mean, look at a guy like Jamal Crawford, like, and, and there's, and I mean, J.R. Smith at his height, like guys like that who just really were great knockdown jump shooters um, and were able to take over portions of games. Like they didn't have to be all world. They didn't have to be all stars all the time. Like, but, but you, you can make a really good living doing that. Um, one other player I'll mention before we get to halftime um, on that front in terms of clutch in a very small sample size, um, John Gillen. Don't want yeah, to John had a bunch. He had a John bunch. Was of like an interesting a, one because well, he was the, only the here Duke, for a year. But the Duke game, the Duke on, game was, on its own. Yeah. Yeah, just a- absolutely lethal. He was somebody who he was not known for being a shooter by any means, but but he was on that team at least the guy that you wanted the ball in his hands uh, with the clock running down. It was so funny because like throughout the year he would bounce between like not almost not being in the rotation in some games to like having about the NC state game where he stopped scored like 40 points. Yeah. Like, like one, just, one of the greatest scoring outputs in Syracuse history. Yeah. And then like a couple of games later, he was like playing like eight minutes because we couldn't have him on defense. But yeah, he had, he had some miraculous shots that year. Um, yeah, one of the weirder Syracuse teams in recent vintage. I would agree. Um, all right. I think that's a good place to, uh, to head to halftime. So uh, Dan, what have you been drinking of late? Um, I've had a decent amount of new stuff and stuff, uh, not so new stuff, but stuff I don't have all the time. I think we've recorded, okay, yeah, so only a couple different things since last week. I had a, a bunch of Green City from other half, uh, obviously one of the, the more well-regarded breweries here in New York, uh, and they do some really, really good IPA work. Green City is delicious, super drinkable, so I had a couple of those the other night. Um, I think maybe the only totally new thing I had... Uh, which has been out before, I just haven't had it before, is the uh, Dean Mahogany Pale Ale from Single Cup, um, which is a, a really interesting um, kind of full-bodied brown ale, uh, but also quite drinkable, has like kind of a, an amber thing going on as well, um, but does have like a nice pale ale kind of citrusy flavor as well. It's a really nice blend of styles, I think. Uh, and then I had some post-red pumpkin. Um, I think I also had something from Trogues. I forgot to mark it down. Um, but yeah, some, some, not, not a huge selection, but, but, uh, so a bunch of some different good things. So very nice. Yeah. I, uh, actually drank some wine last Friday, so, uh, n- nothing to report there, at least in terms of our podcast and, and its usual scope. Um, but, uh, for the rest of the weekend did have a few different things. Uh, modern times I had their bedrock brown ale it was a, uh, nitro brown ale with a uh, coffee and coconut. It was a really, really good drink. Um, had 18 Monks, a uh, double IPA from Monkish, uh, with 18th Street Brewing, um, out this way. Uh, that was kind of, had like sea salt, some, some orange, a whole bunch of other things going on. It was, it was an interesting beer. Um, had Little Bo Pills from Smog City, a favorite of mine that I mentioned here and there. Uh, also picked up some cans over at Monkish for the first time in a while, because I randomly walked, randomly drove over to pick up a bottle and, uh, there wasn't a line for cans for once, so was able to pick up a couple things. Um, but got Spocket, their latest uh, IPA that they had in cans there. Uh, I'll probably give that another week, and week and a half or so. With the hazier stuff, I do find that like it usually ages 
I mean, you don't want to age it forever because that's like the opposite of what you would do with an IPA, but you wait a week, week and a half. I think it starts to settle really well um, container-wise. And then also had a Firestone Lager, which I just have a 12-pack of that sitting in the fridge because it's a great uh, kind of on-hand beer whenever you're either having people over or just sitting and relaxing. So so I might be reacting to old-ish news, although let's say it's in the last hour, um, but I, I'm not working today, so I usually try to stay off the internet because I will drive myself crazy. Uh, if I'm there all day, all the days of the week, um, Chris Clayman to North uh, Kansas State, NDSU's coach. Huh. I mean, that's an interesting move. I wouldn't make it. You wouldn't make it as, on his part or on their part? Well, no, on his part. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the money's going to be better, but like, I don't know. Like Fargo's kind of like, cool. He's he's 51, so it's not super old, but. I think, like, the FCS has become less of a, an obvious jumping-off point for coaches. Right. Um, I mean, we've seen really, like, really prominent FCS coaches have to go to, like, mid-majors, or not mid-majors, group of fives. So I think Kansas State, it's, a, it's an interesting job. I think it's a probably a – I mean, people don't understand how hard a job it can be because Bill Snyder's literally the only successful coach they've had in 30 years, right. and that's over the course of three different 10 years with the uh, Ron Prince – uh, debacle in between his two so i think getting a really established like knows how that how exactly to run a program by like claiming there, there's definitely some uh there's something to that and he's from the area generally he's from iowa he played at northern iowa he coached at kansas previously but yeah it's it's definitely interesting uh, uh it will definitely be a risk for him um I thought I thought the Seth Trail hire on their part would have been uh, pretty good, um, but it seems like he he had second thoughts there, and he might be holding off for a slightly bigger job. But um, yeah, I, it'll be uh, really interesting to see if the second door around replacing Saturday as well, because I think Kansas State isn't that much of an easier job than Kansas, if at all, to be honest. Yeah, I I think to be honest, it might be harder if only because like that JUCO that vaunted JUCO pipeline like still needed. The, to be coached up. So if the right coach isn't there to take on that type of structure, I don't necessarily know if it works. I mean, I, I, I like, I like him. I like the hire. I, I don't, it, again, if I were him, I don't know if I'd make this jump. Um, at least not now, especially when like, there's probably going to be other jobs in the, the, the middle plains to, to Western part of the United States coming open the next year or two. And NDSU isn't going anywhere either. Um, also kind of speaks volumes about the job, um, at K-State that like Venables isn't interested and that probably at least to me I mean maybe you disagree I think it does kind of close the door on Venables going anywhere anytime soon yeah I, I, I'm getting the sense of I mean I'm not the only one but uh, I get the sense that Venables might just be a life for DC which is fine I think that's I think people uh, overrate like taking oh, a stepping up job right. that's what's what you're supposed to do versus like if you're happy being a defensive coordinator and you don't want the uh you know, the challenge of becoming a head coach, if you know that's not right for you and you don't want what that entails, I think it's totally fine to be a DC forever if you're really good at it. And we've seen that with Venables. We've seen it uh, with a couple other guys, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where obviously offense is so in vogue in hiring right now. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 I'm not sold that he wants a head coaching job at all, which is fine. Yeah, I would agree. Um, all right, pivoting from that to Syracuse football, um, a couple quick notes before we get to this uh getting rid of divisions uh, idea um great news andre schmidt and andre cisco uh both made the ap, AP all-american team as well as multiple other all-american teams 
Um, Schmidt was first team, SU's first first teamer since uh, 2001 when Dwight Freeney made it as a unanimous selection. Uh, Andre Sisco was a third team selection um, after tying for the uh, national lead in interceptions on the year. Two All-Americans I was looking, I can't find, like without really digging into each and every All-American list. Um, the last time SU had two All-Americans on any of the teams um, in one season. Uh, it's just great to see that you know, Dino Babers just came in and and promised a higher level of, of competition, a, a more respectable program year in and year out, higher level of recruiting, of just talent in general. And, like, you look at what's happened here. The last three seasons now, we've had at least one All-American. Um, this is the first time we've had a first-teamer um, under Babers. But, yeah, having Ahmed Atawa in 2016, um, Steve Ishmael last year, and now having two players, neither of which on the offensive side of the football um, I think speaks probably the biggest volumes, and it's it's an underrated part of all this that that Babers, an offensive coach, is able to have two non-offensive players uh, be All Americans this season and still set records on offense, nonetheless. You know what's really funny too is like all four players that have made All American lists in these uh, three years under Babers are all from radically different backgrounds in terms of how they came to be a Babers player. You have Ambed Atawa, who was a you know uh, uh, an interesting transfer that we were like, oh, he might be a nice contributor, and blew up. You have uh, Steve Ishmael, who he inherited from, um, he was not even a Schaefer, I think, was he a Schaefer recruiter? Was he a Marone recruit that, before Marone left? I, I, I can't think remember. He was, a, he was a Schaefer guy, because um, okay. he was on the 2014 team, and he was Schaefer guy, but not he was like a, the, but he wasn't a highly touted horse. Schaefer guy. He was, he, was, he was pretty highly touted, I think. I mean, I mean, he was highly touted in terms of like guys that we get, or, or got in the past. Yeah. He was like a you know Florida guy who didn't get like the giant Florida offers, right. but had offers from like everywhere else. Yeah. Um, and then you have Sisto, who is obviously a Babers recruit, and then you have Andre Schmidt, who was literally a walk-on that just won the job and went off to like not miss a kit for most of the year and like missed a couple weird kits down the stretch, but was still you know he won the Drosa for a reason. Like I, I don't think uh, I don't think anyone can really argue with with him. When I know, I know, like Georgia fans are really mad about Blankenship not not uh, making the the finals list a couple weeks ago, and then he went off and missed a bad kick. Uh, I think the next week. Yeah. Um. But like, you know, none of those kickers were absolutely perfect this year. So Schmidt was just as as uh, you know, worthy as Cole Tracy or the guy from Wyoming. Um. But and he he's just been money for like ninety ninety five percent of the season. So for him to make first teams, awesome. So you have four guys like from pretty much every possible way of adding a player to your football team uh, as a new coach. Like, he kind of ran the damn bit, which is impressive because you have guys who coached up, you have guys who he identified through regular recruiting, through the walk-on process, which is crazy, and uh, through the transfer market. Agreed, agreed. Um, In other football news, um, people probably saw this late last week. Uh, Will Greer is the biggest name that will not be playing for West Virginia as he prepares for the draft. That obviously very much impacts um, what the uh, ears are going to do in this game. Uh, I think that it doesn't seal a loss for West Virginia, but I, if, I'm, uh, if I'm a Mountaineer fan, I'm not really banking on a win at this point. Um, Jack Allison's not a bad player um, as his backup, but he has such limited experience. Uh, just 10 passes this year, completed six of them for 75 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Um, that's really not the sort of extensive uh, you know, time out there that, uh, that you would want in, in a replacement looking to beat a 9-3 and team in a bowl game. Dan, does this, auto, does this upgrade in your head at least? 
this game to uh to, to a Syracuse win with with I mean I wouldn't say no trouble but a whole lot less trouble um I mean definitely a whole lot less I, I'm not gonna say like it's it's a slam dunk obviously Western Virginia is very good I thought we were getting a little underrated in this game to begin with mostly because I thought there was a very good chance of this exact thing happening um uh I saw like like right after the game's announced I think Syracuse is like a plus 220 Underdog, so I was happy to take that. Couple put a couple dollars on that with the the possibility of Greer sitting out. What was lined down to like us plus one now or, or even plus uh, even? I thought it was plus one or plus two. I haven't looked though in like twenty. After hours. it was like seven, seven and a half, right? Uh, which was a lot. I thought that was too many for West Virginia to begin with. But um, there was always going to be, I think, uh, maybe not for every West Virginia player, but for like uh, uh, the team as a whole. I think there was a good chance of there being an enthusiasm gap between us and West Virginia where. This is our biggest game in a long time. Eric Dungy's playing in his last game, and he doesn't have the same uh, NFL not not aspirations, but doesn't have the same like you know he's not a possible first round pick. Um, so he's you know this game could be huge for him in terms of making the NFL versus Greer, who has had a really good two seasons and has kind of shown what he needs to show. So I totally get it on his part, especially after uh, his left tackle decided that he was not going to play. And and if you're Greer, like when you have Alton Robinson on the other side and Chris Slayton. And your left tackle's not playing. I'm okay with this decision on his part. Like, oh yeah. If you're going to play, you want to have your full complement of protection there. You don't want to get hurt. So I'm totally fine with his decision in terms of like as a as a neutral observer. Uh, anyway, I mean as close to a neutral observer as I can be. I, I get it. And I would have gotten it if like if Eric Dunty was in the same spot. Like and and he decided he wanted to play in this game. Like I totally I understand this full full stop. Like it's it's a, it's fun to be in these bowl games. They're big for for. More, some teams more than others, and I think we're on that side this year. But ultimately, like they are kind of exhibitions. Um, they can kind of set the stage for the following season, but they don't meet, make everything. So, yeah, it's hard to really fault these guys, uh, and it's hard to fault them if they want to play and and they're putting you know themselves at risk. Like you have to let these players make their own decisions, and Rear did that. So um, it seemed like most West Virginia fans were were handling it pretty well. Obviously, there's always people on both sides of this thing, people calling the Twitter and whatnot, but. Uh, Ultimately, like, I get it, and Syracuse is definitely the benefactor. It doesn't mean we're going to necessarily go in there and win. Jack, Jack Allison will probably try to have, like, uh, some amazing game to lock up that uh, that starting job next season. But, um, you know, we still have to go out there and play, and I think our team will be highly motivated either way. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think that this has any effect on how psyched Syracuse is or isn't. I feel like Syracuse players understand what this game means to, to the program, what it means to Babers, what it means to their legacies, Dungy in particular, um, and what it means to, you know, SU fans and, and, and the folks who have been through, you know, all these rougher seasons. Like, this is, this now has the opportunity, and we talked about this last week, we talked about it on Twitter, like, this has the opportunity to be that turnaround where you look back and go, oh man, Syracuse won 10 games that year, they finished, you know, top 15. They, like, th- this was the year that everything turned around, potentially, um, so I, I, I think that they all get that and Babers is going to coach them up accordingly. So, um, I think they had a really good shot to beat West Virginia uh, with everyone playing. I think now even more so we'll see if David Sills ends up sitting out too. Um, because if he decides that he's not going, um, that, that really does take away most of the firepower, uh, at least the, the biggest names, uh, firepower for, for this West Virginia team. Yeah. And I saw some people on the Syracuse side saying like, now people aren't going to take Syracuse winning this game. Is who cares? Nobody, nobody will no care. Cares. Like yeah, like, like two weeks most, from now, nobody that was will the most care. Asinine thing I've, I've seen in a long time. People are not going to remember that Will Greer didn't play in this game. 
And honestly, like, except for Syracuse fans and West Virginia fans, and if West Virginia fans, if we win this game like 45 to 20 or something, and West Virginia fans want to say, well, actually, uh, in like three years, like... Please well, refer to the three previous guys. games. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, n- no one cares. Like, it, we're not going to not get credit for winning this game and winning 10. The only thing people are going to look back and say, oh, that was the year that Syracuse won 10 games under Dino Babers, and that was, like, kind of a jumping-off point for them. They're not going to say, yeah, but they won nine, but, but Will Breer didn't play uh, in the bowl game. So, really, they, they, should, they probably would have been nine. No, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, like, come on. Like, people, you have to, like, strain to remember who did and didn't play in their bowl game at this point. Christian McCaffrey didn't. Uh, Leonard Fournette didn't. Um, but if you told me, uh, I'm trying to think of like a, a similar like level player from like the last two years, if they played or not, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you with any certainty, unless it was in the playoff, which yeah. obviously people aren't skipping the playoff games. Right, and and that's the thing. Like you know, there's all these stupid columns now about like oh, like it completely like diminished the bowls. Like yeah, it diminished the bowls only in the sense that like they mattered a little bit less, but like. The bowl games still matter to the fans of the teams. They still matter to a lot of the players. Like, and yeah, I, I, I've said this before. I don't blame any any player for protecting their future earnings um, by making a smart business decision here. Like, you you were unpaid labor for for several years now. Like, make the decision that's going to allow you to, to make the most as paid labor going forward. Like, the, 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 this is a no brainer decision if you're a guy like Greer. And like you said, once your left tackles out. Like, okay, like, th- th- there goes any chance for me to play because I don't want to endanger the rest of my uh, rest of my career. It's risk assessment. And, like, all the people sitting around, you know, on message boards and Twitter criticizing, like, you would make similar assessments of risk in your own career um, about what you were and weren't going to do. And you just don't have an audience watching you do it. So I, I think that, you know, th- this is a smart move by Greer. It's a smart move by other players that choose to do it. And, and like we both said, nobody... Nobody's going to remember who sat out and who didn't because, you know, if you pulled up the top 25 standings at the end of last year right now, I wouldn't be able to tell you who played in any of those bowl games or, or whether or not any of those, you know, eight, nine, ten win teams, quote unquote, deserved that win total or not because I don't care. Yeah. We also don't know how, like, Jack Allison to go out there and throw for 500 yards in and stuff. And, you, and, and maybe he would have been, you know, the better option there because Greer would have been playing – um, worried about getting hurt, or like you know, if, if Geno Smith didn't play in the last West Virginia Bowl game, would West Virginia have been better off or worse off? Like, who doesn't seem like it probably had a major impact. So like, there's you can't just say like this X didn't happen, therefore like Y doesn't matter because like these things are all very variable, and it's just it's just dumb. Like, enjoy the win. If Syracuse gets ten wins, it's a huge huge impact, and and. The the, pro, the the thing you're looking for isn't to win one Camping World Bowl. You're looking to build something that can last for years on end and that we won't, like, drift into the morass of the G-Rob through uh, and Schaefer years and half of the Marone years, like, you're, you're, and even the first two Babers years. You're building something um, where, you know, 10 wins is, is not, like, this crazy breakout season. It's, like, the thing we do every so often. And that's what you get with, like, winning a nice bowl game like you're 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 building to a thing you're not just, it's not all about winning this one game against this one quarterback so um yeah that whole thing was really annoying people it's like people look for reasons not to get excited about uh something like you're serious we're serious this isn't our problem at all this is, it is completely not our problem whether or not will Dreer wants to play in this game or not i completely agree um, 
I guess uh, one last note on football before we wrap up for today. I uh, mentioned it before. The Big Ten is thinking about getting rid of divisions, or at least they're considering the idea um, after being left out of the playoff two straight years. Um, it doesn't occur to them that the, the main reason that happened was because, well, main reasons, um, A, you expanded to nine games, which automatically makes your schedule tougher in a sport where the entire goal is not to lose, which I've preached for years. Why would you do that? Um, and then the, the second one being that your best team uh, got blown out by Iowa one year and then got blown out by Purdue the other. And that's the reason why you didn't end up in the, <laughs> in the playoff. Like, that's it. Yeah, yeah. The, the lesson is if you're going to lose one game, don't make it by like 30 points on the road at a decent but not great Big Ten West team. <laughs> like that is that is the the mantra. Like Clemson has lost games before to us uh, in a close game at the Dome and to Pitt. Uh, I think that was at home, but it was by like a field goal, and it didn't cost them the playoff because it wasn't a, a national embarrassment. Right. Yeah. That, that... Like when Clemson lost to us, the story was us. When when Ohio State lost to Purdue and Iowa, the story was Ohio State oh my God, the bed. Ohio State just got absolutely demolished. Yeah, I, I I don't really understand. I mean, I I'm fine with it because uh, Jim Delaney was the biggest hurdle towards um, complete deregulation of conference championship games and and complete self determination towards deciding, you know, how those teams get selected. So if the Big Ten decides to do this, and I know somebody mentioned this on Twitter, and sorry, I don't have your username up but they were laughing about if the Big Ten um, ends up getting rid of divisions after adding Maryland and Rutgers just to increase an Eastern wing. Um, just highly ironic. I think Delaney actually, like, was it Delaney or was someone else at the Big Ten who basically like admitted adding Rutgers is a bad idea? <laughs> like He didn't say that, but he made, someone asked about like if Maryland and Rutgers were like still worth it or something along those lines. I'm not, you know, no. recording, so I forget what it <laughs> they was. Are not worth it. And he was basically like, I think Maryland has a lot of potential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh those Scarlet Knights. They, uh... Chris Ash, 2019, baby. Yeah, Let's go. That's 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 gonna be fun. Um I also think that like I'm I'm fine if Chris Ash sticks around forever, especially for those twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one games um that we have against uh against Rutgers. Is that'll just be? I mean, I think we can beat them either way, but uh, it's much more fun to beat a hapless Rutgers team that we can then, uh, you know, scoop up New Jersey recruits and, and, and all kinds of other nonsense. Yeah, I'm looking. At, I'm definitely on team. Like, let's root for Rutgers to have like a real nice upswing five year, five win year next year. Oh yeah, because that'll be like yeah, because things that... are building on the banks of the. Uh, uh, I forget where that is, but on those, those banks, on the banks, <laughs> things are building. The Raritan, the Raritan River. Um. <laughs> yeah, g- 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 just, just yeah, just give me give me that five win season that says we can't fire him because things are things are getting five better. wins with like an upset of Michigan State and like they gave Penn State a real run. Yeah, they, um, they beat Maryland maybe, in Indiana. Yeah, that no, this is perfect. And then who do they have? I'm actually going to look up Rutgers' non conference schedule. Maybe well, let's find the five wins. The optimal let's optimize Rutgers' five and seven seasons. Yikes! This is <laughs> this is probably the lowest this 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 show's ever gotten. Uh, next year they have UMass. So that's win. a win. At Kinnick, they're not winning at Kinnick. Nope. Um, BC beat the dudes. Uh, oh, that'd be really funny. At Michigan, maybe like lose by ten because Michigan loves to run it up in Rutgers. Right. So lose by ten, that's a feel good. Um, then they they host Maryland. Beat so Maryland. Beat Indiana. At Indiana, and then they have Minnesota. 
at home. Lose to Minnesota, you beat Liberty, and you beat Illinois. You could get the six wins on this schedule with like without not, much effort. Not that bad a schedule, and then they lose the last three, but like no, it won't be too bad. That's a brutal way to finish the year. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that's that's miserable. No, but seriously, they could win six games. Like, oh, like, yeah, I mean, honestly, like... Like, a bad Rutgers team could be, like, a fringe top 25 receiving votes team because the first the first nine games of the schedule are a joke other than yeah, Michigan. I mean, the, only games, the only games you can really count them out of are at Iowa and at Michigan, and even at Iowa. Like, good... T- like, Iowa at night is tough, like, really tough. We've seen that over the years, but, like, they also can lay an egg. Yeah, they've done um, dumb shit. They've lost to North and- Dakota State a couple times. Yeah, so that's not like I'm just assuming that Iowa will be like this like eight win Iowa that we've had the last couple of years. Um, so I won't count on that. And then at Michigan, like Michigan loves to blow out records, so they 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 probably won't win that one. But they could win all these other games. I assume they won't win all of them. They can win five of them. Um, and like you know, then then you're like, all right, he's building things. They look better. Um, yeah, this year wasn't that. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll root for that because I, I don't really want Rutgers to make a bowl, but I'm fine with them like showing enough to keep Chris Ash around for 2020. Same, yeah. G- g- give me the five and seven, but like let us still win eight games so that we continue to have like recruiting superiority, and then and then yeah, then we can lay waste to them in in 2020. Oh, we play Monmouth and uh, oh no, that's them. Never mind, I'm an idiot. Uh, I was reading I was reading their schedule because I haven't changed the page, but they they play uh, Monmouth before us. I was gonna say if we play Monmouth and then Rutgers, like we gotta like. Claim the shore. Plant <laughs> just, the just plant a flag somewhere on the beach. Yeah, we do it on the boardwalk and then just like walk away. DeVito shows up. <laughs> oh yeah, we also have Tommy DeVito. We are we are taking the Jersey Shore is ours, beginning in twenty twenty. Tommy DeVito is going to be a senior. Um, <laughs> the, the final year of the two year Rutgers. Tommy DeVito is going to walk around Syracuse with no shirt on the entire year unless he's playing a game. I'll I'll, I'll mail him a gym pan and laundry t shirt. <laughs> Just Jim, 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 Jim Tan, and and laundering Rutgers. Oh God, so good. Oh God. Anyway, um, the thing we're actually going to talk about, um, the divisions. So people might remember, like two and a half years ago, I wrote up an article in the the height of the off season about uh, how to go to three permanent rivals and a rotating schedule from there. Um, People might have some issues with the three permanent rivals I selected for everyone. That's fine. Um, I think for the older teams, it's less debatable. I think for the newer teams, and that's like half the conference at this point, there there is some debate to be had in the ACC about who those three games are, but I think there's also a lot less wiggle room for them to decide who those three games are. Um, it doesn't necessarily help matters in terms of integrating the newer members with the older members, but if you only have three teams locked in every year, you have another five that you would face just on a rotating basis. So uh, for Syracuse, uh, I proposed at the time and still propose now, BC, Pitt, Louisville every year. Um, you'd face two of those at home, one of them away, and then rotate. Um, and then the other five games, uh, in even years, I had said Clemson, Miami, NC State, Vatek, Wake Forest. So that would have been this year's schedule. Um, and in the odd years, SU would face Duke, Florida State, Georgia Tech, UNC, and Virginia. So you'd be able to rotate home and away. You'd get to go to every venue in the league um, every four years. So every player conceivably, if you stayed for four seasons, would be able to do that. Um, it's a, And same goes for all the other teams here. Like it's just a... It's a better solution. It's I think it's better than pods, if only because pods are usually like a four-team deal. There's some unevenness. You're still tied to a couple other teams, um, and and the pods kind of force you to do a little more finagling. I feel like with this, um, it makes it pretty easy um, to to visualize. 
just how you'd be able to face all the teams. And there's no like, oh, well, what about ties between pod one and pod three? Like, I, I even applied the, the potential tiebreakers to previous years where they were necessary. Um, and we never had to go to a college football playoff ranking as a tiebreaker. Um, in all of these, I was able to use head-to-head or record versus common opponents um, to de- to decide all of these matchups. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in favor of something like this. Like, I don't mind the pot idea that Bill Tomley has proposed. Obviously, there are some downsides, but it, it adds another rival. I think that's more important for some of the other leagues than it is for the ACC. But like, there are very few teams that have like four plus teams they want to play every year. And honestly, like, I'm sure there'll be some complaining, but like, you have to just weigh. Um, you have to weigh like the pros and cons. Like, if you're losing one um, every year rivalry, you're still playing that team every two years. And which is better than now when you're facing them every six. Yeah, when you're facing everyone on the other side, aside from your crossover every six. So, like, like what's one of the main games we sacrifice doing this? Like every year, uh, Wake Forest. <laughs> Not us particularly, but like in the ACC. Like um, the... one, one of the big annual games that goes away. Well, not even an annual game. We just used to be annual game that goes away. Like UNC Wake Forest doesn't happen every year here. It just happens every other year. Okay. So are either of those fan bases that mad about that? Like, I'm sure there's a, a section that's like, but even right now, the North Carolina teams are split up. Like, and I know like they, they have crossovers, but like. Well, UNC they... and Wake are so mad about it that they scheduled a non-conference game for next year. <laughs> I forgot they did that. It's just like such a dumb, <laughs> still super dumb, and they're just going to play it anyway. Um, and honestly, I don't even mind, like, it, it's, it's weird and dumb, but if you want to do that in this new setup, I'm fine with that too, if that's going to get you over the Right. Hump. I feel like NC State fans were, were annoyed that they were missing out on a textile ball from this uh, arrangement, which, like, sure, I guess, but, like, I feel like State values at least Duke and UNC more, or, like... I mean, I guess the Wake Forest game doesn't really matter, but, like, I don't want to put Wake Forest on an island where they only end up facing, you know, two of the other. Like, if you get rid of NC State, Wake Forest could end up facing, like, one maybe of the other North Carolina schools, and I don't want to make them, like, a forgotten uh, son of of the Carolinas in in this regard. So, I don't know. I think, like I said to a lot of people, uh, I appreciated all the, the, the love thrown it on Twitter today. I think that there's... There's some easy ways to tweak this a little bit, but I think the basic, what would you take away from it is that the bones of it are correct in, in, in that this is something easy to to plug in and not just for the ACC, but also for other conferences. Um, that's a little bit simpler than pods and, and does really make it a, a clean um, look at the entire conference and un- accommodating a 14-team league. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely a big step up. Like we've, we outlined the problem with the 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 divisions all the time. Um, it's just, you want to have a more unified conference and that's what this helps feel like. And, and honestly, like, especially if you can get every team playing in Florida, um, every two years and, and every player playing, seeing every venue, like, I think that's just a good goal to have. And if you want to accommodate some other teams by like allowing them to do the weird UNC Wake Forest thing, I think that's on them. That's fine. It just won't count to our conference standings. And like, there are so few of those issues that it, like, whatever, like, let them do what they want if they want to sacrifice one of their non-cons. That's totally cool. But, yeah, something like this, something along these lines that just gets us to the end game of, like, everyone playing everyone more often and protecting the few major rivalries that actually need to be protected, I'm, I'm all for. Yeah, and, like, I even, when I put this together, um, I even, like, kind of paired potential opponents together. 
So you'll see like Virginia Tech and Virginia don't necessarily appear on a lot of team schedules. Um, that was on purpose. Split the Carolina schools as much as possible. Miami and Florida State are, are split as much as possible. Uh, Georgia Tech and Clemson are too. Like even SU and BC, I tried to split them up um, as much as I could just for the sake of avoiding two like Northeast trips in one year. Um, or too much exposure there. So like this is again not completely perfect. You could tweak some things as needed, but this does find balance, um, and that that I think is the biggest demand on any model like this. And I think you know it, it, the the biggest sacrifice here is really that you just don't play every year against some teams. But I, I'm sure Clemson would be fine not playing us or Wake Forest every year. Um, I'm sure Virginia Tech would rather play, you know, just guarantee games against. You know, I mean, they already had these, but games against Virginia and Georgia Tech and Miami every year, and then have more trips to Syracuse and, and Boston College um, and Florida State and all these schools that they don't necessarily get to play every year. Um, Louisville could be a potential, you know, long-term rival with Virginia Tech, based on numerous factors around their football programs and you know academic profiles and fan bases, like. That there's a lot of things that can be birthed here that the current structure isn't going to allow for and will never allow for because of um, how infrequently we face one another. Yeah, I, I just don't really get, aside from like people who just need things very simple and like to know, like these are our six division rivals, this is who it will always be, and I have seen a little bit of that in the past. Like Aside from that very strange standpoint, um, I don't see how you really argue against this being an upgrade. Um, and then it also, you know, we haven't even gone into, it allows for a, like most years, probably a better conference title game. Surprisingly, the ACC didn't change as much as you would think it would. Yeah, uh, like, I think we've had like the weird Florida State down years plus uh, Clemson's dominance. Right. Yeah. To be honest, only seven of the 14 years changed. That's, yes, that's half. But um, they didn't, the only year that it would be, it would absolutely be fundamentally different was, it was 2006, actually. The uh, the tiebreaker that I had in place for head-to-head actually eliminated Wake Forest from the uh, from the title game that year completely. So you would you would have to remove the random Orange Bowl appearance and and, and the random you know largely uh, Jeopardy questionish uh, Wake Forest 2006 championship. But yeah, 2005 would change from Florida State Virginia Tech to Virginia Tech Miami. Um, 2006 would have changed from Wake Forest, Georgia Tech to Georgia Tech, Vatech. Uh, 2008 would have been BC, Georgia Tech instead of BC, Virginia Tech. 2009 would have been Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech instead of Clemson, Georgia Tech. Uh, 2012 and 2013 would have been Florida State and Clemson. Um, and then 2016 would have been Florida State, oh, I'm sorry, it would have been Clemson, Louisville instead of Clemson, Virginia Tech. So, like, I don't think anyone's really, other than Wake Forest fans, I don't think anyone's, like, fundamentally, like, opposed to like those changes that really did create better matchups. And like, if you look at the historical scores uh, for a whole bunch of years in a row, like the ACC title game is actually a pretty tight matchup uh, despite any perceived rankings uh, gulf between the two schools. Yeah, I, I think that's all good. I think the ACC would be better off, even if like the games are usually tight, I think the ACC would be better off with the chance of a Florida State Clemson or a Miami Florida State rematch or like something that gets two of the name opponents uh, in there, and obviously, like this year wouldn't have changed it. Like your thing does, doesn't get us in, but like overall, I mean, based on how we project things out, but like overall, you want to have your two best teams in there, even if it's at the expense of possibly a Syracuse. Like I think you 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 generally want to have your two best representatives. You want to make it a, a big game on a big stage, and like 
this year just didn't get there. No offense to Pitt, like they deserved their spot, but it just like wasn't. We weren't getting what we uh, what was probably best for the league, um, and that was also because he was down this year. But like when you have a matchup like that, it just it it it, it really sells the uh, inequality in the league, which is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, and admittedly, like I said, my exercise just replicated it since uh, Pitt had a very uh, coastal heavy um, even year slate. And we had both Clemson and Pitt in our. So if you took the real world results, it didn't change anything. Uh, both teams were six and two, uh, and Pitt still would have won the tiebreaker and made it somehow. Um, I didn't really, but that's also assuming like that nothing else changed. I didn't go through the entire uh, schedule for every other team. So there's a potential that you know that that alters some some other things a bit um, with those schedules. But you know, it. I, I think that. If the Big Ten's willing to consider it, then it becomes a little more reality. ACC is only a first mover uh, when it comes to conference realignment. Uh, they're never a first mover when it comes to um, thinking a little more radically around uh, its stru- around structure and around scheduling. Big Ten is, is one step. If the SEC starts talking about it, I think the ACC would actually jump at something like this, even if this specific uh, outline probably seems a little too radical for... Um, like athletic administrators to get behind because they would never think of it themselves. Yeah, the problem is like the ACC, like you said, doesn't move. But the Big Ten kind of does its own thing, and then the ACC usually follows the SEC's lead for the most part. Right. Um, but the advantage here is that it doesn't impact the ACC-SEC crossover rivalries: the uh, the Louisville, Kentucky's, the Clemson, South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, etc. Um, so I think there's a chance that like if the Big Ten does it, there might be a little bit of an emboldening. And obviously, it seems like. I feel like when, when the, the thoughts become this public um, and are like openly discussed, except for a Big 12 expansion the last time around, uh, these things end up happening. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and I guess we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think anything that would happen probably wouldn't for another two years at least, but I said this is the start of a potential conversation. Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm weirdly happy with Jim Delaney saying a thing. That's very rare. Too, too true. Um, all right, Dan, anything else this week? I feel like we uh, we got to cover a lot. No, we had bowls coming up at the end of the week, and then, you know, we have a, a bit of a lull here for Syracuse until uh, ACC playing basketball and the, the big game on the uh, 28th. So exciting times. But, uh, yeah, I don't think we have another huge – oh, Buffalo. Buffalo's good. <laughs> yeah. Buffalo on the no, that, That's right. Uh, St. Bonnie's on the 29th. Uh, ODU on but, Saturday. ODU on Saturday. Are they good? I, I don't even know. They're not bad. I mean, we they're 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 like a fringe, like almost CUSA representative last year. Let's see, seven and three. They played UNI twice. Weirdly, split those. They lost to Oregon State close. They lost to St. Joe's not so close. Uh, haven't really. Well, they beat VCU and VCU. I think beat Texas. Yeah, they're fine. I mean, they're not they're not amazing, but they're fine. Yeah, it's a solid opponent. So yeah, we'll get a nice team on Saturday, and then uh, a weirdly big matchup against Buffalo on I guess Tuesday. Yep. Uh, Arkansas State's not always is always like pretty decent. St. Bonnie's have been pesky, and then we have the ACC. So yeah, actually a, a relatively interesting, if not like great name brand, uh, run down the stretch here in the non-conference schedule. Yeah, that, that, that's totally fine with me. I think the more we can do stuff like this, the better. And it'll be interesting to see what we deal with this next year. Um, Dan, uh, appreciate your time as always. Uh, it's been another fun one. 
Yep, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, everyone, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on wherever else you listen to your podcasts, and go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.